Welcome back to another episode of Chai Noon, everybody. And uh, as always, please be sure to subscribe to our RSS feed and uh, like us on the social media and all that good stuff. But today we have a very special guest, one that I think a lot of South Asian Americans would probably appreciate very much, especially seeing forums and uh, the general angst we have. <laughs> Relationship coach, coaching by Varsha, Varsha Mathur. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. And how are you doing today, Hanik? I'm all right. Spurs lost, but Madrid won, so we'll be all right. Well, Rockets <laughs> won last night. It was a crazy game. I just got to go to it. It was insane. But we'll talk about sports ball some other time. <laughs> today sports we ball. had to talk about <laughs> real life issues like uh, rom coms and Bollywood and stuff like that, which I have no idea about, anyways. But <laughs> <laughs> do you want to give yourself a brief introduction, Varsha? Yeah, sure. So I am a life coach and I specifically love working with dating and relationships. And I started doing so because the South Asian community was just so hush-hush about love and dating and what marriage is all about. And I experienced a lot in my personal life, some divorce and then remarriage and all the taboos and stigmas that come with that. And I was very vocal about my process and learned that a lot of people don't have the resources or the support that they need to do the same things in their life to be strong and happy and healthy in their relationships. So I decided to create this program, this life coaching program that would support people, especially in the, you know, conservative and sometimes very traditional communities. Right. And you've actually been on a couple of podcasts. You've been on Woke Desi and some other podcasts. So it's cool uh, that you're coming on to our show as well. <laughs> Is it the first time that you're on a podcast with a couple couple guys, I guess? It is the first time with guys only. I've done some with guys, you know, another guy online, but mm -hmm. um, I think it's the first time with guys. Yeah. So this will be really, really great. We do chat a lot of rubbish, so, you know, <laughs> be, be prepared. Great. I can't wait. So um, looking at their article profile on uh, Brown Girl Magazine, shout out to Brown Girl Magazine. They have an amazing mm -hmm. site, but... In the little blurb, it said you were a lawyer and you had your own business, and then you sort of became a relationship coach due to yeah. some of the things you just talked about. I just wanted to talk a little bit about your transition in that process. Mm -hmm. Like, is this something that you do full time, or is this just like a side in this uh, passion project? It started as a passion project. It has now become a full time job. I have uh, a client base that would be considered a full time client base, and I am growing uh, as much as. I kind of want to, I, I, I transitioned out of law because it just wasn't, it just wasn't feeling right. It was, you know, it's a great way to like feel strong and, and secure in your career. It's, you know, for that purpose, it was wonderful, but then it just wasn't me. I got out of that and did some business work in medical management for about six years. And that I just, I got the entrepreneurial bug. And once you have that, it's really hard to go back to working in an office nine to five or for most lawyers, like nine to nine. And uh, now with the coaching business, I get to kind of create my own lifestyle, my own hours and, you know, really work with people that I choose to work with. And I love that. Cool. I guess just one more question. Mm -hmm. You know, we're sort of pushed growing up into these very traditional avenues, law and stuff like that. And it's, you know, very good. 
But what was the community support behind your decision to start a cup on your own? I guess at this point, you're already like you already were very secure in your identity. You already know, knew what to do. But was there a lot of support initially? Because you don't really see relationship coaches in the South Asian community in general, or even in most communities these days. Yeah, I mean, I think I can say that I cheated a little bit because I did do what made my parents happy in the very beginning. I became that lawyer that everyone, you know, lawyer, doctor, engineer, maybe a CPA. Those were my options. And, you know, in in a lot of ways, I appreciated that because it did allow me to stand up on my own two feet, really learn about who I am and what I do and don't like. And then, you know, my parents are super supportive and I had been through a lot of transitions and life coaching was something that really just literally organically grew out of a passion project. So I was kind of done with the medical management industry and had just gotten married and really was trying to figure out where I was going to go next. And I blogged about my relationship stuff. And that's how the coaching came about. It wasn't really like, okay, I'm going to go out there and study coaching and become a coach. It was just so natural. I was going to say like blogging my way to a full-time job is like one of my dreams as well as like getting this podcast a full-time job. (laughs) That's Uh, wonderful. And I, and I, and I commend you for like knowing that that's something you're passionate about. I thought you wanted to be prime minister. Yeah, that's a side. That can be the side hustle. <laughs> the prime minister. Yeah. <laughs> Nowadays, I think that there's something to that because podcasts and the creative world is a like a growing field. So. Oh yeah, I mean there are a bunch of senators in the United States government that have podcasts, like Ted Cruz and Bernie Sanders and all those people. Mm-hmm. So it's really <laughs> becoming quite a thing. Uh, I'm not too sure if I'm gonna. I like my security a little bit more, but. <laughs> Yeah, but imagine the subscriber jump we would have. Oh, God. Just, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Anyways, before we get a little bit too sidetracked. So was it slow going at the beginning? I imagine so, but like uh, just getting your name out there and pushing more and more. How has that growth been for you? Yeah, thanks for asking that. It was, yeah, it was totally slow in the beginning. And a lot of people are out there slapping coach on their name and kind of just giving people advice uh, half-heartedly or kind of freestyling coaching. And so as a lawyer, I really wanted to go about this like in a very professional way. So I'm in this program called Accomplishment Coaching, which I just graduated from. And they have accreditation through the International Coaching Federation. And I'll be in about five more hours of coaching calls. I'll be accredited through them. And so it was in the beginning, you know, getting that clout and having people recognize that this is a legitimate industry was was slow. And a lot of people think that you have to come to coaching because you have some problems. And it's actually quite the opposite. It's, you know, about getting more out of your life from where you're at. And I think the more people recognize that, the more they want to use it. And it is very different from therapy or consulting in that it's really about your future and like wanting more and getting the challenges out of your way. Yeah. Even Tom Brady, like one of the greatest the greatest quarterback of all time. He needs a coach. <laughs> it's like, yeah. you've already done everything you need. Why do you need to get a coach? Well, you know, there's always things you can work on to just push yourself a little bit further. So, yeah, I, I always kind of question, like, why does this feel like you've already got everything you need? You know, because people will be like, oh, my life is great. And I'm like, and then if you were given $10 million, would life still look great to you? You know? Right. I mean, I will admit, if someone gave me $10 million right now, I'll be quite happy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So just getting into the meat of the matter, the 
Asian community or the South Asian community here in the States, there's mm-hmm. some trends, I guess, at least among the younger generation that I've only observed online, you know, but just talking in general, I think there's a lot of conformity, like you said, a lot of conservatism, just mm-hmm. in terms of relationships and things like that. Of course, me growing up in a place where there wasn't that much of a community at all, like I didn't feel as much pressure and that's why I think I'm able to function so much normally, but there are a lot of people who mm-hmm. are surrounded by Indians their whole life or Bangladeshis or Pakistanis. Mm-hmm. And so I imagine that is probably the bulk of her clientele. Like why, what's different about the South Asian community in your opinion, outside of conservatism? Outside of traditional like gender norms and the conservative like religious cultures, I think it's because most of the clients that I work with have immigrant parents or they're immigrants themselves. And that creates the need to have this like inner community in your life. And that small community turns into like a like a 90210 or Melrose place where they just, you know, it's he said, she said, and everyone knows everyone's lives. And that just becomes like a really tough thing to ignore. And inevitably, it becomes part of your life to worry about what people are thinking. So that sounds somewhat degree about my life in Africa, but I really enjoyed it. So I don't know what that mm-hmm. says about me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mean, I think there's like, there's totally something to be said about the support that that creates and how it like normalizes who we are. And because we may feel different in the larger, you know, being from like a smaller community in, in the places that we live. I mean, there is good stuff about that too. Absolutely. I guess my background is slightly different because the Indian population in South Africa is a very large minority and the city I grew up in, it was True. the largest group or one of the largest groups. So it was more fun for, I guess, for us. And I guess that's like the small differences I find with Kieran that, you know, being surrounded by Indians, I somehow still am very different. I look at it is that it's just completely weird. It's like totally out of my element. Like when I date other Indian girls, it's just like, oh, you know, I've been being pressured since I was 22 or 23. It's like, wow, okay. <laughs> I realized that I'm very much lucky and privileged in that regard where I haven't mm-hmm. had nearly as much pressure. And maybe it's because I have an old sister who like fought back aggressively against that, that my parents were much more chill when it came to me. But I never felt any community pressure because like my relatives were six hours away or the closest Indian community was like three people. And so whenever we met up, there was not any discussion of like relationships. Yeah. So I grew up a lot like that too, where I grew up in a rural town where it was like me and my siblings and a couple other Indian kids. And then I had a greater, like my family is really huge in the US, but they were kind of an hour or two away. We didn't see them all the time. And what I noticed when I went to college and I when I w- was in bigger cities is like what you're saying, Hanik, is that the larger communities then end up creating their inner subgroups where it's not just you and the other Indians. It's like my Gujarati friends, my Punjabi friends. And like that becomes your inner circle. (laughs) Gujarati gang, yeah. Right? So again, nothing wrong with that. It creates amazing support. But I do think that sets apart the South Asian community. And, and you know, the same could be probably said about the Italian community, the Jewish community. Everyone has their subgroups. So I want to ask, like, what are some of the general trends that you've been noticing more and more since you've been doing this recently, but especially with the progression of technology and social media? Mm -hmm. I think there was a statistic that I read that back in India, there are 75% range marriages. And over here in the U.S., you know, 92% of Indians want to go out on their own and find their own sort of match. Love love marriage. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I imagine with social media and technology, that percentage has gone probably even higher as people are feeling more equal. So I want to ask you, like, what are some of the general trends that you've been noticing recently, I suppose? Ooh, I don't know where to start. This is like everything I talk about all the time. So, okay, with social media and online dating and the apps, what I'm finding is that the apps have created this culture that is addictive. And I think that's across the board. It's not just for South Asians. Like it's really just, they use algorithms to make it addictive. And so you just want to keep swiping to see if something better is around the corner. And I totally get that. What I like about these apps is that you can use them as a tool and actually get to meet more people than we would normally do so because we're all so, you know, computer-based and staying at home and ordering things online that we're not running into people as much as we used to. So I do love the apps for the purposes of just as a tool, but you got to be careful with the addictive qualities. And then I think like with immigrant parents, the kids of immigrant parents and the kids uh, and people who are coming over, and I say kids, but really, I mean, adults who are dating and the, the people who come over from India and are, you know, young adults working, there's a lot of clashing between like interracial marriage, but then also like, I mean, I hate to say this, but like intercaste or inter sub, you know, subgroup of Indians, like Gujaratis marrying Punjabis or Hindus marrying Muslims. And then, you know, Hindus or Muslims marrying somebody of a Caucasian race and Italians and just like white people in the U.S. or whatever. So, I mean, there's just so much to say about any one of those dynamics. Where do you want me to start? (laughs) Or do you want me to start at all? I can chime in that I've already been, it's already been mentioned last weekend when I had a couple of aunts and uncles visit and they were mentioning that I should go out and spend time with girls from the same cast as me to like around my age. <laughs> I was just thinking to them, like, I don't already have any free time. Like, and this is like your solution to it. <laughs> just go meet people of your cast and not go meet the wider community, go enjoy life or anything along those lines. They're very like you're 26 times ticking. I was like, what? <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> That's so young in my eyes. It um, is young. It's young in my eyes. Mm-hmm. No, but it's yeah. crazy. Like a lot of the girls that I've talked to, it's like, you know, 22, 23, 24. It's like, I'm almost 30. It's just, this is not something that I've had to deal with. It's, I had imagine it's much worse for girls. And, and uh, I can probably ask you in your experience, is it much worse for girls, this sort of pressure? Yeah. I mean, again, I'm biased. I, I don't mean to say that I would totally understand what the pressures feel like for guys, but I think there is a little I bit of added pressure. Again, my family was like super liberal. I never felt like pressure to get married, but it was all around me. And I think my first marriage, I did get married at like 28 and I was so young. Like looking back, I was like, oh man, I didn't have to do that. But you just kind of subconsciously have that pressure. It doesn't have to even be spoken to you. So some of the other traditions, I guess, are just like navigating arranged versus non-arranged marriages. And I suppose if you're in the States, or if you were born in the States or born in England or something like that, you'd be more open to non-arranged. But is there a certain threshold that arranged just becomes much more like imprinted into your skull? And uh, I'm looking at you, Hanuk. <laughs> I've already passed the age. <laughs> you know, I know I'm not past expiry point, but that's still harsh. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm way past expiry point, just by my own extension here. 
Okay, well, when you guys need arranged marriages, call me because I have a lot to say about that, which is that it's really okay. I mean, it's all about like, you know, people talk about like, what's your must have list or your conditions of satisfaction in a relationship. And if you get help finding those things, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, especially because it's just getting so much harder to like meet people. So why not open up all the avenues, including your parents and uncles and aunties around you? But the choice to do so, I, I have found is typically around like your personality and like whether you are willing to like almost put down some pride and say like, I'm okay with this. It could actually be good for me. That's what I've noticed so far. Otherwise, there's really just no wrong answer. There's no wrong way to go. I think the pride point is actually a very interesting one because, you know, the way I think about it is if I had an arranged marriage, could I personally be happy of the thought that potentially my mom picked someone for me? Like, I don't even let my parents like pick my clothes at this point. And then think to like that being the introduction, it is a sense of like, you know, stubbornness and like self, you know, like I, I'm too proud to like have that be made for me or introduced to me. So I never thought about it like that. That's a very interesting point. Well, I, and it's also kind of just depends on how arranged we're talking. Like if you're not able to like, get to know the person at all, and you're raised in the kind of communities that I'm assuming you guys are raised in, that's going to be really, really tough. You know, not being able to like at least preliminarily date after you've been introduced to really know whether you're compatible with this person. That's really extreme arranged. I don't know how much of that would really exist anymore. But then you also have to be in communication with like the people who are arranging it to say like, just because you're introducing me to this person, I can't commit. It's like, it's not a commitment. It's an introduction. And I have to imagine that uh, for people who are coming here for grad school or things like that, it's probably even more pressure because it's like, oh, I have to do so much in this short amount of time. Meanwhile, like, uh, mm -hmm. you know, if, if we've been here for a while, we sort of have a better idea of how things work, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Is that yeah. sort of, is oh, there like totally. a much more communal sense of like, hurry up from the people who immigrate here for grad students or undergrad students. And yeah, uh, yeah, totally. The dating culture is so different in India. I blame it on Bollywood, quite frankly, because it's like instant love and like proposals immediately, which means really let's just date and go steady, if you will, from 1950s. But like, it's just like, once you commit to someone, it almost becomes like we are now on the track to marriage. We're just going to take our time doing it behind our parents' backs until, you know, it's our age to get married. And here in the U.S. and in other cultures that are a little bit more liberal, like, I just know that when I date a guy, it's not going to be immediately like, this is the one I'm going to marry. But there's so much pressure of, like, keeping your family name and those kinds of things for, for that, that I think it's just what creates the pressure and the rush to jump into marriage. I was going to say, I can't believe Shah Khan lied to me. I know, right? For me, it was Saman Khan. I'm like, come on. Well, the key is just to not watch any Bollywood at all. And so you can just laugh at yourself when you go on dates in general. <laughs> well, it's just really unfortunate that like the way that they depict flirting or dating is just so, so messed up. Like I remember it is watching- It's a little bit creepy. It's like they just keep pressuring and pressuring and pressuring to give it. It's like almost a hostage yeah. situation. Very oh much my so. gosh. Totally, totally. And that's what's being ingrained in a really young age in like young people's minds that that's normal. Because where else do you get it from? You get it from your parents, maybe. Like, where else do you learn 
love and relationships, like movies, parents, friends, friends, parents, maybe, you know, but that's not enough. Uh, just the internet. <laughs> oh, just the yeah, internet oh well, yeah, okay. Uh, for me, I forgot to mention that. <laughs> I was going to say, I, like, I haven't finished A Suitable Boy, but I mean, books in, I have, were always my gateway into learning how people's minds think. And so. That's awesome. But I don't know, like A Suitable Boy being like the stereotypical book, and it's a hefty book, which most people won't even bother picking up, let alone reading. But. Yeah, thinking back, it was probably one of the Shakespearean novels I read as a child, like or plays. Kieran's like face is rolling, and <laughs> you cannot see this. <laughs> but you know, like that was an introduction of relationships, or and even those are parodies to an extent. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's no fantastic format in itself, but it, I'd say it's a collection of life experiences totally. rather than a single point. And what I'm referring to more so is like before you have a conscious choice to learn about something, it's the stuff that you get fed to you. You know, once you're like middle school, high school, you can choose to think what you want to think about the information you're receiving. But before that, your experiences are just whatever you get. So I'm going to generalize a bit because, again, I haven't had this experience, but I had some of the experience. Let's say for the first 18 years of life, your sole focus is on academics. And then you're just magically supposed to go off to college and have like 85 girlfriends or boyfriends or something mm-hmm. and figure out what to do in those four years. I think that's sort of a reoccurring theme among South Asians. Like you were supposed to know all this already. We don't have to teach you this. Is that sort of, and maybe that's a product of the media or the media that's influencing you. Do you think Asian parents should do more in general just to like teach people these things that are, is it even even toxic? Cause it's like uh, arranged marriages, but now arranged marriages and aren't, aren't as much of a thing in the U S. Mm-hmm. I think I understand what you're saying. So there's a lot of, a lot of stuff packed into that. And right. yes, I do wish that immigrant parents would do more to communicate about these things with their kids, but more importantly, like communicate their support for the kid and whatever they bring to them, like relationships, what they want to do with their careers. Like if, you know, just really understanding that, like, coming to a new place means, like, opening up the world to your kids. And especially, like, in the States, like, there's just so many cultures that they could be exposed to. And just being, like, accepting of that would be amazing. And I do see that as a trend, like, with a lot of people who are, like, my age, they're having kids now. And if they came from India, they were naturally part of a more liberal culture. So they are a little bit more open-minded. They more likely than not had some sort of a love marriage in college. And so it's starting to change. Right. So I guess we're going to talk about ourselves a little bit. Are we? I'm going to talk about myself. (laughs) I don't know if you're going to talk about yourself. So I noticed uh, just in general for my dates, like I'm usually very loose. I usually like don't take myself too seriously. And that's fine. Like if nobody wants to go on a second date, that's fine. But in the last relationship that I was in, which got sort of toxic very quickly, and uh, I'm mm-hmm. sort of angsted about this with Hanuk off the air, it, it like I'm a very non-confrontational person. Like I will just shut down in general, and so if you just keep pushing me and pushing me and pushing me, then I will sort of like I, I want to get out of here as fast as possible. Like I yell as a very last resort. And so you know, I was dating this girl; she was an immigrant as well, and then we started having fights, and then. It just sort of got to the point where, 
like I wanted to leave, but I think she may have felt a certain pressure, like we can work this out, we can work this out. And I was wondering if there is more tolerance for like compromises just because if you grew up in India, you might see this more often and everything turns out okay. Meanwhile, I don't like these conflicts, but since there's such a low rate of divorce in India because of arranged marriages, maybe that leads to more, I guess, acceptance and forgiveness of, hey, these things will happen. Let's just not quit. You know, I quit. Yeah. Yeah. There's two ways to look at that. One is, right, I'm going to be more tolerant in my relationship and respect that, you know, we have to deal with these differences and, and make our way through and struggle. And I've seen that in healthy arranged marriages many times. The flip side of that is, the fact that, you know, especially if you're not married yet, that pressure and that fear of like, what will the world think? Is this potentially the only thing I'll ever find? It keeps you from believing in like real love and like really healthy relationships. Like I remember from my first marriage, I thought that this was the end of the road. Like I had to make this work. I mean, this is, I committed like two years to this. Like, why wouldn't I get married now and have to, I don't want to start all over again. You know, that was the thought process, but Thinking like that kept me from believing in like what a real healthy relationship could be for me and that it actually does exist for everybody. And I really, really believe that. And I think keeping that in mind helps people make healthy decisions in their relationships. It just makes me think of the sunk cost fallacy. Oh God, like it's so nerdy about what I'm gonna say, but basically, like it doesn't matter how much time you put into something, it's all about judging. At that moment in time, the future, regardless of what you put in. The best example is if you spend $100 at a betting table or blackjack or whatever, you know, you can't regard how much money you've already put in. You have to make the decision on the next hand mm-hmm. on what's in, what's in front of you, not what has happened before. Yeah, and that's totally what I love about coaching the most is that we are totally looking at what are you going to do about it now and taking your current circumstances and being responsible for them is incredibly powerful. And it just keeps you out of like the stories that affect your decisions. Not worth it. Another thing is that it takes two people, or it takes two people, but if one person wants to leave, and it's only been like, let's say in my case, it was like less than six months, then if you're fighting all the time, then it's probably not gonna work unless both people really wanna make it work. So. I don't really regret what happened in my situation because I already sort of knew that <laughs> it was not going to work. But I, you know, I sort of, you, you do believe that you can fix things. And maybe I just didn't in the end. Yeah, it's so amazing how in our current culture, intuition, your gut feeling, we're forgetting about that. I mean, I don't know. That's the vibe that I get. And when I started tuning into my gut and my intuition, like, the whole world changed for me because you're usually right inside in that deep, deep place inside of you. Like it's pretty real. I was going to say like, when it comes to my dating, I'm a very harsh critic, especially on first and second, like first dates, because I always think, you know, this is the first time I'm trying to meet someone. You should always like, Kieran says he's very relaxed. I'm like, let's, you know, go to a relaxed place. But, you know, I'm still going to, like, dress really well for this. I'm going to, like, put a shirt on, like, minimum. Like, go out. I sometimes would even wear a tie, like, if I come from work or something. And, you know, within 10 minutes, half the time, 
I know whether or not I want to continue chatting to this person at the moment, let alone whether it's going to work. And I think a lot of that has to do with my personal fear of, you know, in, in my growing up, it's been a lot of traveling or a lot of moving around, jumping around. And so I always think, right. And I guess it has to do with the apps. So I was like, there's always something better. There's always a, a greener grass. Yeah. And I, yeah, I think that, very... that is my problem. Yeah, that's very interesting and wise of you to, to look at it that way, because it's wonderful that you're trusting your gut. But the one thing, and this is where the, the dating coaching part of me just kind of jumps in, where what your gut feeling is going off of is somebody's first impression. And that's typically never who they really are. And, you know, that even in the beginning of a relationship, and I call that like the first couple of months even, you know, there's just so many like walls and facades and like games and it's never really about who that person truly is until you make the effort to share and to listen and blah 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 so you know your gut instincts really have to consider like the real stuff instead of just like what might be in front of you at the moment well at the moment i'm not dating like, i'm more like focusing on like myself with like diet I'm gonna probably start the gym again soon like first time in god knows how long but i think in that sense that yeah when i go back into the world or like open myself up again i've got to be a lot less harsh and i think that also has to do is i look at other people's relationships and a lot of the time i think they're a bit of a mess personally like and like with my friends but you know it's them going podcast partners (laughs) i I, I never i never said that i never said that you said that I did. I did. <laughs> Part of it must be also me just trying to protect myself from that pain I kind of envision. Interesting. So if I'm going to be super frank, I don't believe that there's any right time to start a relationship. And I think the process of trying to perfect who you are before you start jumping in like subconsciously what you're saying is that either I'm not ready, I'm not capable, I I need to do something else first, but it's like, why can't you have it all right now? And that's kind of what I ask you to consider. And I also feel like when you finally feel like you're ready for a relationship, that'll be fine and dandy, but someday, even with that person, you're going to be a hot mess. It's inevitable. Life happens. You're going to have to deal with like all sorts of things in relationships. And so just go for it and have, have your full life right now. If you, if your end game is being with someone forever, why stop and why not start now? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. I think, <laughs> I think we've also got, I think we've got the episode title. Why can't you have it all? That's definitely. Exactly. Absolutely. And you know, I just love that you guys can't see my face, but I can see yours and the facial expressions are everything. So, and please remember that like everything I say is, is my opinion. It's just subjective stuff and please don't take it the wrong way, but yeah, love it. Episode title. So actually, um, I just wanted to mention one more common thing is that let's say, you know, you have this family, they want you to date an Indian guy or an Indian girl, but you just can't find any. What is sort of like the best way? Is it to do online things? Is it to go to community events? Is it to do both? What in your experience has been like, if you can't find other South Asians in general, do you And you actually want to, you mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, if your objective is to meet them, 
yeah, do all the things. The sky's the limit nowadays. Like our world is so global and like, it's just put your, putting yourself out there and yeah, all the things that you said, you know, make the effort to go and seek that out. Whether you have to move or not, I mean, I think that's a bit extreme. I never did think anything like that, but I did live in a kind of small town and I dated long distance. Like my husband and I lived four and a half hours away, DC and Pittsburgh, and we made it work because the click was really intense, even just via like phone and chatting and like that sort of thing. So it was worth the effort and it allowed me to really open up the number of people available to me in the type of people I wanted to date. And I'm not afraid to say that, yeah, I was kind of looking for someone who was going to support my religion and like have a similar background as me. Right. And I think for me in general, like I've said this many before, you know, I grew up in a small town. I was fine dating anybody, but I can just relate more with Indian girls. Like I can joke about, I can be more self-deprecating or joke about Indian things. Like, I don't know anything about Bollywood. You know, if I talk said that to a white chick, they're like, what, what is Bollywood? If I said that to like an Indian girl, they're like, ah, well, let's, let's show you this. And, you know, I'd just like, oh, this is so awful or something like that. So yeah, and I mean, depending on who you are, I mean, in an interracial marriage or relationship, like there's just so much to be gained there and so much to share and grow for two different cultures that, I mean, I'm going to say this again. You just can't go wrong. It's really about what's right for each individual. I was going to say, Kieran, our personal experience starting a podcast is not a great way to meet Indian girls. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, man, you got a review from the girl you dated. (laughs) You know that, like, everyone you date is going to, like, listen to your podcast as soon as they know about it and, like, learn everything about you and check you. Just make them never never know about it in general. (laughs) Yeah, keep it a secret. Hiding just things kidding. is the number one rule in all relationships. If you just hide <laughs> everything and keep all your emotions pent up, then nothing will ever get out that's bad. Take it from me, <laughs> the single guy. Right. Yep. Everybody can be perfect if they just pretend. Exactly. That's my point. Just a couple more questions. So what are some of the reoccurring themes between the genders, I guess, just because I've listened to some of your other podcasts, but they've had more of a female influence. I want to know, mm-hmm. like, what did some you know, it's with the guys. It's like, are they pickier? Are they, like, uh, more relaxed because they don't have the time pressure? Are they more arrogant? Do they feel, I don't know. Okay, again, totally my views, and I am a little biased because I'm a woman. So the, the number one theme is uh, what was said earlier. Like, I'm just focusing on my career. I'm just focusing on my health. Like, this is, I'm too young. And what that does is it prevents like developing a relationship and letting it grow from like a young seed to like a flower. And also I do hear a lot of, yeah, like they have a lot more options out there. So it is easy to just be like, well, a little nitpicky. And I don't blame them. I mean, with today's like dating culture, like the the apps make it, like I said, really addicting to like being be nitpicky, but you just can tell so little from these apps and even from like a first couple of dates that it's kind of unfortunate. So, you know, I would like to see guys just putting themselves out there more and trying, trying a variety of things in dating. I mean, I don't know, like part of me is personally attacked there. On the... <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. It's just a joke. Don't worry. It's totally fine. No. And, and the, the truth is like, it's also like, what you're saying makes so much sense based on 
the culture that we come from. Of course, you want to be like, and again, I'm making an assumption about you, but a lot of guys who grow up in South Asian culture are taught to be the bread owner and like the taking care of the family. And so it almost feels like you have to have all of that before you start dating and start a real relationship. And again, I'm just making an assumption, but it's kind of seems like a pressure. You know, you say that, but like when I was in South Africa a couple of weeks ago, I was chatting to like, who I consider like a second mom. And, you know, mm-hmm. I said, you know, I don't have any like life insurance. I'm quite happy because, you know, I'm not responsible for anyone. And she goes, hold on, like my two daughters are your, essentially your sisters and you're responsible for them. I was like, it's <laughs> <laughs> like one's a doctor and the other one works as a consultant at a, like a massive firm. <laughs> yeah, so no pressure. No, like, they're perfectly fine. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I'm talking about. That's, that's a lot of pressure, even though you may not, you know that it's really not necessary and it's not even logical it's still being said to you and it may have been said to you subconsciously for a long time. And we do actually have female listeners too. Actually, I think they're probably a decent chunk, if not the majority. So what advice would you give to them in general as well? Um, Well, here's the thing. I don't like to say that it's advice. These are like, again, just opinions. They may not even work. Honey, I I feel so bad because I'm like, I I don't want you to think that this is directed to you. No, I mean, don't work Um, out. Pinpoint to individual cases, but like, yeah, I think for, for the trend that I see for women is, um, getting caught up in the past stories and getting caught up in past mm-hmm. dates, like that may have failed and then judging the next oh, one totally based me. on that. That's totally me. I get caught up in the past. <laughs> <laughs> I just have the exact opposite of honey. It's like, I don't have to do anything. I know I can take care of myself. So I guess I'm the chicken in this relationship, <laughs> in the podcast partnership. Yeah. I mean, it can go for both sides. Right. But I, it's, it's a common thing and it's really hard to get out of when you are feeling like, Hey, I've been at this for so long. Like, why isn't it sticking that kind of, it's a trap to think that way. So I think uh, we'll start wrapping it up, but you're on the way to your business group. And you said you only have five more hours of coaching in general. You've written, I think five articles for Brown Girl Magazine. You've been on podcasts. Like, is this just something that you feel like uh, is really just what you want to do? for the next long while and how's the rebrand going in general? Yeah, thank you. Um, It's going really well. What I love about coaching, especially the type of coaching that I do is that I will always have a coach myself and coaching is this like really confronting thing. And that's why I start to get these like faces like you guys have been giving me in the last couple of minutes. Like it is confronting and it's like, oh my God, is this what's happening or is that what's happening? And then you kind of reevaluate how you want to take control of your life and move forward. But yeah, it is absolutely going to always be part of my life. I am on my way to writing a book and it is going to be about South Asian dating. I am, like I said, just really, really enjoying working with South Asian clients and having them see that like, yeah, they can have it all and that there is possibility of all of this for them. Yeah. Just a note to the listeners, uh, we're making faces because these things are just too real for us. <laughs> but it's good to get the, the truth. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like based on this 40 minute conversation, a couple of emails, you know, some of the issues. Of course, I think I'm perfect. So I don't think I have any issues at all. So. And I think perfect. you are perfect as well. Perfect. Yes, yeah. both of you. Thank you. Both of you are awesome. Um, yeah, thank you so much. And, and I do like, uh, offer a complimentary discovery session for, um, everyone out there who's interested. 
because it is a good way to determine whether coaching is right for you and whether like me as a coach, like I would be right for you. So happy to, I hope that your listeners will take advantage of that. It's amazing what a coach can do in your life. And I just love helping people get what they want. Yeah, absolutely. So hypothetically, let's say one of your friends gets an arranged marriage proposal and they don't want to do it. How do you, do you just laugh in their faces? I do. I laugh in their face and I say, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) The one thing that I forgot to say, which is like one of my favorite things to talk about is communication. And uh, it's so hard to do that with parents and with the potential guy. And like, there are so many ways to kind of like break the ice, especially when it comes to like these really tough topics. Like I'm just reminded of like having to tell my parents and my grandparents about divorce and like how scary that was. And You know, I think that's what it's all about when these things are just like awkward and weird. It's like learning how to communicate in a way that those other people will understand it. Right. And I'm not implying that you laugh in people's faces. I'm saying that situation hypothetically. Yeah, no, hypothetically, like it's probably what I want to do. But then like from a place of love, I won't do that. (laughs) Right. Exactly. I was going to say, my sister, every now and again, will get a rishta, which is like, you know, the bio data sheet and everything. Mm -hmm. And all the time, I just get really disappointed with the person who sends it in and just think, gay, oh. suggested it. And, and just say, you know, you, like, you know us or whatever. And I think this is my also concern with the, I guess, introduction system now rather than the arrange system. It's just like, really? Like all, like, all this time, all this effort, all this, like, thousands of years worth of effort, like, distilled, <laughs> and this is your best shot? Because th- that's what happens with me. I always think like, you know, we can do slightly better. And I guess that's, again, another point about me always thinking there's always something green around the corner. Well, I usually but, think that I can't, it's like, I need to be with this person. Then I might realize that something's better. Like, I was like with this last person for a couple, six months. I was like, oh, I can do, I can do better because this one's just not working out. But then again. Yeah. And it's unfortunate that like back in the day, arranged marriages were like done by like priests and your stars were aligned. and you know, it was like a actual like formula. And today it's just kind of based on like, how many years did you go to school? Like all, how much money does your family have? And then, I mean, it's just not going to work if it's about that and not something more substantial. I was going to say stars are still very important for some people. I've, I found out like the minority of cases, but some people have asked like what t- time of day and all that. And oh, for cool. me, that, that's, I don't know about cool. But it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's cool because I, I, I do want to believe in it. But I also think that that tradition has been a little bit like, like, what is the word I'm looking for? Diluted. And so we don't really know how accurate it is anymore. That's just my opinion. Totally my opinion. Uh, but um, I have one final question. And it's just more, it's a bit more reflective. It's if you were to give yourself advice 10 years ago, even 20 years ago, like what would that advice be like in terms of relationships or in terms of coaching or career or anything you want to tell yourself? Um, Trust yourself and get support. And I mean that from like the simplest way to like the deepest way and most complex ways. Uh, I think also on that note, many listeners need to reach out to someone, whether it be uh, Kieran or I, I guess I'm going to throw Kieran in this and just say, we're always happy to on a private notice to like taking questions on just help talk to someone. 
Right. And if you need relationship coaching or coaching in general, Varsha is there. Coaching by Varsha on all the platforms, Instagram, Twitter, all that. Right? Great yeah. Form. Yeah, absolutely. Just message me and, and let me know if you'd like to talk. Yeah. And so, um, of course, you can also find many of our articles on Brown Girl Magazine. And uh, she's going through a rebrand, but we're looking forward to it very much. And hopefully you guys, if you have any questions, even if you're not like in the States or in the UK, if you're from India, because we actually have a substantial portion of our audience is international and a large portion mm-hmm. is from India directly. I'm sure you'd be more than happy to help them out if they need it. Yeah, I have worked with people all over. I work via Zoom calls and it's pretty easy. Okay, sounds good. So that will be it. If uh, you have anything else you want to mention, Marsha? Yeah, thank you guys so much. This has been a really fun conversation. I look forward to hearing more from you guys. <laughs> Great job. Thank you. Thanks. If we get any questions, uh, maybe in the future we'll do a Q&A mailbag, uh, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> I would love Q&A. I really love doing Q&A for dating stuff. It's really fun. Yeah, ask Varsha, not ask Gabby. <laughs> All right, thanks so much for listening, guys, and uh, we'll see you all next time. Bye. Thank Bye. you. Bye.